I really don't. Okay, everybody, you're all very welcome to <clears throat> this Saturday's Scottsdale Big Book meeting. And um, I'm your host for this evening. My name is RGN and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from County Mead in Ireland. And I will be your host for today's study. The co-hosts are Johan and um, I have Nancy on questions and um, Sual. If anyone has any questions during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the question and answer session, which follows, will not be recorded. We will post any links to the previous recordings in the chat function. We ask if you please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during the study. And also please turn off your camera if you are exercising, eating, or need to step away from your screen. And just for the recording today is Saturday the 24th of January, 2023. And Harlan, I hand you over at the meeting. Thank you. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you very much for your service. I'm so glad to be here. Um, I was just talking with some of you guys before this. What a difference a week makes, huh, guys? Wow, last week, a lot of us were in LA and it was just uh, fantastic, but it was uh, whirlwind activity and this weekend's a lot quieter for a lot of us. I'm real glad to be here. Last, uh, oh, before I get started, I just wanna make a couple of announcements. The first announcement that I want to make is this week, just very sort of offhandedly, if you will, someone mentioned that we as a Scottsdale group could, should, might host a big book weekend workshop. Now, I don't know about how many of you want to participate. My thinking is if you guys want this, I will do it if you want me to. If you don't want me to, I'll step aside. But I will definitely do it if you want me to. Um, the only suggestion I do have is if you're going to negotiate with hotels and stuff like that, we need money and we need a committee. And that has to happen pretty quickly. If you want to do it this calendar year, we may be under the gun and we may have to do it next year. But if you want to get that done, you know, come on, step forward. And if you want to do it here, it's going to be really, really, really hot. But if you want these hotels to do what you want them to do, then summer in Arizona is uh, extremely hot, extremely difficult hot, but that's when you will get their attention. Uh, they practically pay you to stay there at those times a year. It's very hard for them to get guests to stay there at that time, and they may be more open to it. So that would be June, July, August, and half of September, something like that. So be thinking about that. The other thing I did want to mention is that um, I do not, a lot of you have been asking me, I have absolutely no specific information on whether or not there is a vision conference this autumn, or if there is or isn't, I have no information as to when that might be. I'm just going on a past performance sheet and the past performance sheet says this horse usually runs in October or November would be more likely. So this, this is what I would guess, that if there is going to be a vision conference, it's going to be in Newark, and it's going to be uh, in uh, late October or November, something like that. So the past performance sheet uh, is something that tells me that that's what, what we're dealing with here. Okay. The last week we were together, we talked about the sex inventory in step four, and we cleared up as best we could some of the misconceptions of that inventory. This is not an inventory of all the people that you've had sex with. It, it, it is not that at all. It is an inventory of the people that you have harmed with your God-given sex powers, your, your attraction. What did you do with those things? What did you do with it to, to hurt, manipulate another person? That's what we're going for. And then we talked about 
the sex oh let me just go into this a little bit more because i don't want to skim over it. did you use it to create jealousy did you use it to create pain for someone else did you use it where sex or enjoyment of sex was not involved did you use it to gain favor at your company did you use it to get a job did you use it for something other than what it was intended for did you give someone the cold shoulder did you refuse to give them love, sex, attention until they came around to your way of thinking? Did you use your God-given sex powers to harm, manipulate, control another person? Did you use it to get money from them? Did you use it to, to get, you know, what did you do with it that was harmful to another person? And we also talked about the sex ideal. And based on my life, I've learned not only a lot of things about things, but I've learned a lot about myself. And one of the things that I've learned about myself is that I am often childish. I am often not a mature adult. I am often not bringing an adult to the scenario. And so if I have something of a sex ideal. Now, a sex ideal, again, is not. Here's what it's not. It is not, I want them to look a certain way. I want them to be a certain way. That is not a sex ideal. That is something other than, that's a fantasy land. And that's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a sex ideal. And what we have is, what did I learn based on my marriage? What did I learn from the couple of other relationships that I happened to have been involved with? What I learned is, is that I was more in search of a mommy than I was in search of I, an equal. And when my wife came along, she asserted herself to be like a mom figure. And I learned that that doesn't work. I didn't really know that about myself. How could I have known that about myself at the time? But now in retrospect, I realize that that is what I was looking for was a mommy. And she assumed that role quite readily. She became the mom. She became the parent that I never really had, because at a very early age, I became the boss of that house. And so it was a completely unnatural situation for me to be living in with my parents, with me as a child, sort of dominating and controlling the environment there. That the there's a mobile that, that you have, and the mommy and the daddy are supposed to be on the top, and the kid is supposed to be underneath. And I, at a very early age, assumed a role above them. And so that became very unnatural. And that was not something that helped me in my life. It is something that hurt me quite a bit. And it was actually pretty devastating. And I've had a lot of help. And I've had a lot of inventories. And I've burned a lot of ink and killed a lot of trees inventorying that stuff over the years. Another thing I've learned is bring a recovered adult to the relationship, not just an adult, but a recovered adult. Because if somebody is unmuted there, Galaxy S9, Galaxy S9, if somebody could mute that, that would be helpful. So bring a recovered adult to the relationship because a person in recovery can be more open to emotional intimacy, can be more open to physical intimacy, is more available to the, to the other person. And so what I've learned is not only bring an adult, but bring, could somebody mute people that are, if they're not muted, could somebody go through there and mute them? And, and that would be extremely helpful at this point. So the bottom line is, is that I learned what, what I, what I've learned through experience and I've learned through inventory that these are the things that are of the utmost importance. Another thing I've learned is you have to be financially responsible and I have to work hard because even though I'm 68 years old, I still have to work. If I could retire, I would have. 
but I can't, so I shan't. So the bottom line is, as long as I have the business, I need to work harder than I've ever worked before. And that kind of scares me and makes me angry, but I really have to do what I have to do. And there's no way around the fact that I have to work really, really hard and that that's okay. It's not going to kill me. It's absolutely not going to kill me. Another thing I've learned is don't try to um, overcompensate for the past. One of the things that I deal with, one of the things that is very pre uh, present in my mind is a, an extreme anger over what I missed out on. And, and there's an expression that if you don't heal your wounds, you will bleed on people that did not cut you. And because I don't get angry at the other person necessarily, but I get angry at my own life because I don't have the past. I don't have all these stories about making love and being in relationships and stuff. I don't have that. I went at 35 years of age. I got into, I, I dated my first girl, 30, <clears throat> 35 years old. And I had a short relationship, a year, year and a half. And then I met my wife and I married the first girl that came along, the first girl that came along that didn't utter that ugly, horrible, offensive F word, friend. They didn't utter that word friend. I married her. She was looking to get married and I was in love with being in love. Oh, was I in love with being in love? Because for me, I think this is more guys, maybe I'm wrong, but it's more for guys. Being with a, a, a lady, it's like your membership card to the human race. It gives you validity. It, it makes you feel like you're part of society, you know? In, in every ad you see, you know, every kiss begins with K and every show you watch is about being in love and holding hands and, you know, the Norman Rockwell picture of the family and the this and the that. Well, of course I wanted that. Not only had I never had it, I never really thought that I could ever have it. I never really thought that something like that would ever, ever be something that I could touch and see and feel. I believed it was for other people, but it was not for me. But I never had any of these experiences that people have had. And I've noticed over the 43 years that I've been in OA that compulsive overeaters usually run to one extreme or the other when it comes to this subject. They've either made love to a whole lot of people, some of them they can't even remember, or they've stayed the other side like me where there's just, we're very devoid of that. But what I need to remember is if you don't heal your wounds, you will bleed on people that did not cut you. And so I have to take that and say, what does that mean to me? What it means to me very specifically is come to peace with your lack of past and don't try to capture your 20s in your 60s. It's not going to happen. You can't capture your 20s in your 60s. I, I'm never going to be back at Mather High School in Chicago as a student making out with girls in the hall. That is not between classes. That is not going to happen. I'm no longer a student there. I no longer enrolled there. It's probably something that is well, well beyond my grasp. And it is absolutely not something that is going to happen. Too bad for me, maybe in my next life, but not in this life. But that doesn't mean that I have to waste or bypass what I have in this life. That doesn't mean that at all. I also, it was in a marriage where there was nothing going on physically. We made a baby. Yes, we definitely did that. But as soon as that occurred, that was pretty much the end of our physical life. And I'm not talking about the last days of Caligula here. I'm not talking about something that's off the charts crazy. But if it's a situation where there's nothing going on 
physically, I don't have to stay in that situation. I may be 68 years old, but I'm not dead. I understand that we're not in our 20s. I'm not in my 20s anymore, but I'm not dead. So these are the things that are very, very important for me to keep in mind. And does, does not the relationship necessarily or the other person, do I match up to what I am saying in my sex ideal? Am I matching up to that? And if I say, yes, I'm matching up to that, now I can take an objective look at something else and say, is this the right situation for me? Or is this an incorrect situation for me? Where do I fit in with this in the bigger scheme of things? So this is very important for me to know. And it's very, very important for me to come to as a conclusion. And the only way I I'm going to come to that as a conclusion is by inventorying this and taking objective looks at what I've done and the mistakes I've made in all areas of my romantic or lack of romantic life. Now, some of you may be saying in the sex ideal, you've never been involved with anybody before. Well, I have an answer for you there because when I first came into OA, I was 24 years old and I just got done telling you that I didn't go on my first date with a girl till I was 35 years of age. Well, what happened in those 11 years? I had to inventory myself as I related to the, the friend relationships. Was I manipulative? Was I selfish? Did I create jealousy? Did I create pain for other people? Did I manipulate through friendship or lack of friendship? These are the things that I had to inventory so that I was not shirking my duty to myself to take a very serious look at my situation. Very, very important for me to look at these things, to, to understand these things, and not just to look and understand, but to change and adapt and that can be very, very difficult. I want what I want. I want somebody to come in with a time machine. I want to go back to 1970, 1968. And I want to do it all over again with what I know now. And that's just not going to happen. That's not possible. And it is scary for me because I haven't had those experiences. I haven't had those situations. So that is very frightening to me because I have a, a life that is full of experience. I have a life that's full of accumulated knowledge, but I don't have a lot of firsthand knowledge in this area. And that can be quite scary for me. Okay, let's go to page 69. And uh, in on page 69, we're gonna look at the paragraph that says, in this way, we try to shape. In this way, we try to shape. And that's on page 69. And I'm very, very uh, honored to, to look up here. And there's 155 of you here already. My gosh, what an honor to be, to be here today. Anyhow, let's go to page 69. And remember that we're just coming out of the paragraph that urges us to take a very uh, objective and sane uh, in uh, a sexual ideal. And again, a sexual ideal is not, I want her to look a certain way. I want her to do this and not that. No, 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 no. That's not what it is. The sexual ideal is about you. It's not about the other person. Through the years, I have had people that didn't understand that, and you would be amazed at the ridiculousness of some of the fifth steps when we get to this part, because they've done it completely incorrectly. They've done it just completely and utterly incorrectly. Okay. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? In other words, am I in a relationship that is very, very selfish? How do you know if your relationship is selfish? Here's how you know. 
is your entire relationship based on getting the other person to stick to your script? Is your entire relationship based on getting that person to do your bidding? Is your relationship based on things other than mutual love, mutual assent, mutual respect? And do you really like being with this person? Is this person the person that you are going to be, you want to be with? Remember that this is a person that you're going to be spending the most time with of any other human being on the earth. You're going to travel with this person. You're going to eat and drink with this person. You're going to be ill with this person. You're going to be well with this person. You're going to face challenges together. Is this the person you really want to face those challenges with? Or is your relationship manipulative, transactional? Is it just for convenience? Are you with this person because you just don't want to be alone? Whatever that may be, you have to really look at that stuff and come to the reality of the situation here. Get in touch with reality. In order to get in touch with reality, I have to be out of the food. And I have to be in a situation where I am honestly inventorying the situation as it is. And I'm getting objective and useful feedback from a sponsor. I need a sponsor. We ask God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. Now, I don't always act in an adult manner. And I just got done telling you that one of the things I want to bring to a relationship is an adult. Because in my marriage, I let my wife make every decision possible. I let her be the mommy and I was the son. And I wondered why we didn't have a sex life. Well, you don't do that to your mommy. That's not a nice thing to do to your mommy. So we didn't have a sex life. Also, the bottom line is I let her make every decision. And I didn't let her make every decision because I'm such a gentleman or I'm such a nice guy. Oh, no, 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 no. Further, furthest thing from the truth. I let her make every decision because I feared her. And in letting her make every decision, what I thought was going to happen was she would be happier. I thought she would be happier. Well, in 2010, she ended a 17 and a half year marriage. We got divorced and she was carrying on with another man. She was carrying on with someone else. And so uh, that didn't work out real well for me. Now, did that? Letting her make every decision did not exactly give me the results that I wanted. So not only does it, it doesn't work, but it is a betrayal of myself. I've learned if I can't speak up, if I can't be who I am, now that doesn't mean I'm always going to get my way, but if I can't be who I am, I sh I'm in the wrong relationship. I'm absolutely in the wrong relationship. I need to be with somebody where I can just be myself, be my silly, crazy uh, self. I'm not always the most mature person. I have my faults, definitely, especially if there's math to be done. I'm screwed. I'm absolutely screwed if there's math to be done. But the bottom line is, is that I am who I am and we can either love each other and accept each other or we cannot. Let's find out. Okay, we remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. And I never in a million years thought during my first 35, 40 years of life that anybody would ever be attracted to me. I'm still, I still struggle with that idea that that's possible. And yet I have some overwhelming evidence that it, there is something to me that might make someone say, hey, I'll take a chance on you. I'll do this. I'll do that. So this is something that is kind of new information for me, because you have to remember that not only was my rejection from females brutal, I mean, it was it just inhumane, 
but I had no experience, no confidence, and there was no way I could gear my, I see my, I saw my friends, they would go after talking to a female and they would say to others and themselves, I'm going to get her to go out with me. And normally they did. Normally they did. I could not say that to myself ever because I had no successes with which to base that on. Now I've had some success. And so things are a little bit different. But these things that I'm describing to you are very damaging. They are very damaging in, in, in very serious and very deep ways. They are extremely damaging. Yes, they are. Okay, let's get back to page 69. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. So I can't just put this down on paper and say, this is who I want to be. This is what I want to be. Uh-uh, it doesn't work like that. I have to work toward those goals. Just like we work toward recovery, if I want to be a person that's in a relationship, I have to work toward those goals. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. Now, I've never cheated on anyone in my entire life. The thought <clears throat> has never crossed my mind to do that. Uh, even in a platonic marriage, I never did that. I'm just, I'm a nice Jewish boy from the north side of Chicago. I don't do those kind of things. So to find out that my wife did was shocking. It was very, very shocking. There's a famous comedian. He says, most men are about as honest as their options. Maybe if there was something, but I don't think so. Uh, that would have gotten my attention, but I, I severely, I sincerely doubt that that would have been the case. Um, but I do know that it goes on. Obviously, on in May of 2010, I stood in my kitchen and heard words I never thought would come across my ears that she had been carrying on uh, over an extended period of time with another gentleman and that she was very much in love with him and she wanted out of our marriage and she wanted to be with him. And it was a very, very tough thing to hear, but I had to hear it and I had to go on with my life. And when I heard it and I was very, very injured by it and very hurt OA showed up for me. You guys were there for me. You took me to meetings. You went out to coffee with me here in Scottsdale. You were there for me. When I needed you, you showed up for me really, really beautifully. Just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous show of affection for me by the members of Overeaters Anonymous. Very bottom of 69. God alone can judge our sex situation, counsel with other persons, counsel with persons, sorry, is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. I ask other people because they've had this experience and I never have had this experience. I get the male perspective. I get a female perspective. I get others' perspectives because I have never traveled these roads before. And it's just like anything else. If you remember in the days before we had Google Maps, in the days before we had, to me, an app meant you were mispronouncing the word nap. And if somebody would have said that they're going to look on their phone for something, I would have thought they were crazy because the phone was a big plastic black thing in the hallway of our home, of our apartment. And when it rang, it woke everyone up. I never in a million years would have thought, what is an app? How can you talk on the phone and listen to music and do all these things and watch movies and watch television all you know from the same thing it just made no sense to me well now i'm very old fashioned i don't go to an app i go to people and the various people that i talk to the various people that i trust are people that have traveled this road before me what i don't do in a lot of cases 
is rely completely on the person, a person that I'm involved with, not the person, but a person. I don't rely on a person that I may be involved with necessarily to give me all the information. In some things, definitely. In other things, definitely not. Because I want to get an objective situation, not something that is subjective to the uh, to the other person. So it is difficult, but you know I should know these things, but I don't. And when I don't know something, I go to sources of that information. It's very very important for me to do that. So these are things that are very important to me. And I have a sponsor who's traveled a little bit of a different path relationship-wise than I. And so he may not be able to relate to everything right down the line. So that's why I have other people. That's why I have a God squad. That's why I have a God squad that includes people that have had lots and lots and lots of these liaisons that I cannot draw from. I cannot draw from strength I don't have, and I can't draw from experiences that I do not have either. So it's very important for me to have that God squad. We realize I'm at the top of 70. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Another thing that I have to be very careful of is losing myself in the other person. And I don't want to do that. I want to make sure that I don't act in an alanatic or codependent way and lose myself in with this situ with any situation. So I need objective feedback for that as well. Very, very important. Page 70. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we are going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half truth. It depends on us and our motives. And that's a very big statement. It depends on us and our motives. What am I really looking for here? Am I looking for a relationship to succeed or am I looking to sabotage a relationship? Let's talk for just a minute and then we'll get back to the text. One of the things that I love more than Twinkies, more than pie, more than McDonald's French fries is self-pity. Oh, I love self-pity. If you could bottle self-pity, you would not crack and cocaine and heroin and fentanyl right off the market. They wouldn't stand a chance. If you could bottle self-pity, poor me, in AA, they have an expression, poor me, poor me, pour me a drink, pour me a drink. Well, I have to be on guard. So what I need to look at is, am I looking to heal and grow with this other person? Or am I looking to sabotage this so I can go around and feel sorry for myself and say, poor me, poor me. Look at all the girls that rejected me. Look at all the girls that hurt me. Poor me. I'm really a nice guy. And look at what they, they're doing to me. Well, that's very nice for about three seconds. And then the reality sets in and you're alone. So I have to look at what my motivations are. Am I looking to heal the relationship? Am I looking to sabotage the relationship? And one of the quickest ways for me to sabotage the relationship is to become non-communicative or to attack the other person. Remember we said at the very beginning of the meeting, if you don't heal your wounds, you will bleed on people that did not cut you. So I cannot look at that other person. If I'm in a relationship, look at a, another person and lash out at that person because they may have had something I didn't have. They may have done things I wish I could do or any other multitude of reasons why or how I would lash out at another person. It just doesn't make any sense. So as crazy as it sounds, 
These are the things that I have to be on guard for because my ego-driven personality, my ego-driven lunacy, my ego-driven crazy will take any situation and I am an expert at making crap out of gold. You talk about making gold out of everything like Rumpelstiltskin. You talk about an alchemist that can weave coal and God knows what together to make gold. I can take gold and make it into crap. If there was ever a value to crap, I would be the richest man in the world because I can take any situation and turn it into garbage. So if there is some sort of marketable value to garbage, be careful because I am going to be the man that you're going to want to know if you need a couple of extra dollars. So this is something that you're going to have to be on guard for is that if this ever happens, I will be the richest man in the world. Trust me on that one. Let's go back to the book. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be we will be forgiven and we will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, and we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. Now, the reason that you have in step nine, except when to do so would injure them or others, is something we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about Ernie Gehrig. Now, there's two Ernie G's in early AA history. There's Ernie Galbraith, who married Dr. Bob's daughter in Akron. And there's Ernie Gehrig. And Ernie Gehrig was from Ypsilanti, Michigan. How many people here, show of hands, know that Ypsilanti begins with a Y, not an I or an E. It begins with a Y. Okay, good show of hands. Very good. He was from Ypsilanti, Michigan, and he had a very cute, nice wife, and he got married, and he was an alcoholic. He loved dating, though, and he wasn't about to, he loved dating other girls while he was married. He thought this was a lot of fun. And just because he was married, he certainly wasn't going to give up his skills with the ladies. And he definitely, definitely did not slow down. And in Ypsilanti, he had lots and lots of girlfriends and a wife. Well, his wife had had about enough of this, and she got a job for him at a machine shop down in Toledo, Ohio. So off they went to Toledo, Ohio, with promises from Ernie that he was never going to do this again. They got down to Toledo, and he started dating there too. So he had a wife in Toledo, and he had some girlfriends in Toledo too. Well, this wife of his, not only is it a good thing that she's smart, but she's also fast on her feet, which I'll figure in here in just a minute. His wife heard about a doctor who was curing drunks. And this is 1936, end of 35, 36. She hears about this doctor that was curing drunks. So off they went to Akron, Ohio to get him cured up because she figures if she can get him cured of his alcoholism, then he'll stop running around on her and that everything will be okay. Because this is, you know, this is the promise. If you, what, what did everybody tell me from the day I was born? Just lose weight and everything will be okay. Well, I lost a lot of weight and there are still challenges to life because no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, I'm going to have challenges now, aren't I? So anyway, they go to Akron and they are living with Dr. Bob. And this was um, October 
1935. I didn't mean to say 1936. This was October of 35. Bill had just left their home in, in August of 35. And this was October of 35. And he had been dating quite a bit. And his wife, she had her fill of this. And she was attractive too. She figures the hell with him. I'm going to get myself a boyfriend and I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. So she goes out and gets herself a boyfriend in Akron. So now she, he's got a wife and girlfriends in Akron. She's got a husband and boyfriends in Akron, Ohio. Well, the women at the Oxford group meeting on the Friday night meeting in late October of 1935 corner her and say to her, you've got to tell Ernie what's going on. You've got to make restitution. You cannot continue to step out of your marriage and call yourself a Christian. So she decides the next day is Saturday, very rainy, cold Saturday. Tell me something honestly, parenthetically. Is there ever a better day to nap than a rainy, cold Saturday afternoon? There's no better time than that. It could be Sunday. It could be Tuesday. It could be whatever. There's no nap time better than Saturday afternoon. I don't care what you say. Saturday afternoon was made for napping. Okay. Anyway, so it's Saturday afternoon and the Smiths, Dr. Bob and his wife, Ann, are out in the Oldsmobile buying groceries. And she decides she's going to come clean with Ernie. And she goes into the kitchen and he's having a cup of coffee and she lays it on him that she's been having an affair. Her affair was like a week or two, whatever it was, but she lays it on him that she's been dating some guy. Well, he could dish it out, but he couldn't take it. He grabs a knife out of Dr. Bob's knife drawer. You know, the, the drawer in your house where all the knives and everything are. I usually stroom, I usually throw my silverware on the breakfast nook. But you guys who are living more normally, you have a drawer for all these things. Not, not so much do I, but that's okay. That's fine. Anyway, so... He grabs a knife and he's chasing after her. Remember I said it was good that she was fast on her feet because she's running away from him in the house. And he's yelling, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Probably threw in a couple of other golf words in there too. And in walks Dr. Bob and Ann Smith. And their arms are loaded with groceries and the knife just misses Ann Smith. And Dr. Bob tries to get the knife away from Ernie and he corners him and orders them out of their home. You can do a lot of things in the Smith home to, to recover, but you can't threaten Mrs. Smith with stabbing her to death. You can't do that. So anyway, what's the story here with Ernie and his wife, the gall breaths? Well, not only are, is this where a lot of this comes from. Now, I'm not painting Bill Wilson out here to be an angel. We all know that that is not the case. Bill had lots of you know things going on, things in quotation marks. But a lot of what Bill supposedly had going on was not founded. A lot of it came out in 1952 that this this guy in AA was spreading a lot of lies about Bill too. But whether he was spreading lies or not, here's what we know historically. Bill did really well with the ladies, okay? Now, let's get back to Ernie and his wife. That's why you have except when to do so would injure them or others. What would AA people tell his wife at this point? You're having an affair, Ernie doesn't know about it. Let's make sure he doesn't find out. Let's make sure that you stop the affair and that you work things out with Ernie to the best of your ability. That's what they would say. Well, a lot of the information in this chapter too, this chapter also comes from the experience with Ernie Galbraith and his wife. So it's not just about 
Did you make amends if you stepped out of your marriage or you stepped out of your relationship? A lot of it is what are, what is your intention? So you can apologize all day long. Do we apologize to the Constitution of the United States or do we make amendments to the Constitution of the United States? Why do we call it an amendment? It comes from the word mend and mend means to repair or change. Without change, without a radical change in the direction of our behavior, I'm sorry, is nothing. It's just nothing. Yes, I I, I passed gas or I burped at the table or I'm sorry. Okay, fine. But when you're coming down to these kind of issues, and I'm sorry is rather hollow. It's really hollow sucker. It's really not it's not what we're looking for here. So you really got to know, yes, I'm sorry is part of it. Yeah. But it's a very minor, minor part of it. The major part is going to be, did you change your behavior? Did you change your behavior? That's what we're talking about here. And Ernie Galbraith went into an insane asylum back in Ypsilanti, because I know some of you are going to ask me whatever happened. He actually went into a mental or a psych hospital, we would call it today, what was then an asylum because his alcoholism produced madness in him. And he was confined for most of the rest of his life. And his wife did go on and have another family and remarried another gentleman. And as far as we know, they were happily ever after. So this is, this is the story. This is what they're drawing from, is Ernie Gehrig's situation. So what is our ideal going to be? What is our intention going to be? Very, very important. Okay, let's continue. Let's continue. To sum up about sex, I'm in the middle of 70, by the way. Oh, my God. I'm looking at the, at the clock and I'm thinking, no way. Oh, my God. Anyway, to sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal. Again, we're going back to the sexual ideal for guidance in each questionable situation for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. They're very, very important. Over and over and over again in this book, we are told that when we are faced with a problem, Let's say the problem is drinking alcohol. Let's say the problem is having sex outside a committed relationship. Let's say that problem is, should we go somewhere? Should we not go somewhere? Whenever we are faced with these forks in the road, it is inherent upon us, it is incumbent upon us to go work with someone else instead. Very, very important instruction. If you are looking to find God, you will most often find God in the face of one of his children. And in the face of one of his children, and where do you find his children? Well, there's 169 of you here on this meeting right now. And so 168 of us are not you. So if you're looking, you will find. You found the food, you found the Twinkies, you found the whatever pizza, you know. And if you're going to eat pizza, for the love of God, go to Gino's East in Chicago. Don't go to one of these schlock places. One time I ate pizza in New York and I thought, man, there's more flavor in the box than there is in this crap. But the bottom line is, the bottom line is um, you've got to check your motivation, check yourself at the door and try to separate ego out. Yeah, I know it's hard to do that. That's why I have a sponsor. That's why I have a God squad. That's why I have people that are as close to me as, as my skin that I rely upon, that I trust more than 
life itself to give me that information. And then to the best of my ability, I have to ask myself, am I listening to that information or am I pulling a typical Harlan Grabowski and yeah, 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 and doing what I want to do, doing it my way? Well, look how effective my way seems to be. Not very, not very at all. So you know that song, My Way? When I listen to that song, I say, better your way than my way. Better your way because my way leads to the highway and the highway leads to Doritoville and Almond Joy Junction. That's where my highway leads is to Doritoville and Almond Joy Junction. Let's continue. We think of their needs and work for them. In other words, I need to get out of myself. I am sickest when I'm stuck in self. The ego does not want me to help another person unless I'm going to get something in return. So what, what, do, what does Dr. Silkworth call us? He calls us an altruistic movement. What's altruism? Altruism is giving of oneself with no expectation of return. None. No expectation of return whatsoever. And that is so foreign to my nature. Quid pro quo. Quid pro quo is Latin for you do this and I'll do that. So I can cut a deal with you. I'll do this. You do that. This recovery process is I'll do this and you just go on with your life. I'll do this and I'll go on with my life because there cannot be any expectation of a return. Because so many times I have found myself, and I know you have too, we try to help somebody. Help is in quotes. That's why I did this with my fingers. If you can't see me, I'm explaining it. If you're on a podcast or whatever, I'm trying to help someone else, but I want to give them a dime and then later on extract $5 from them. Life doesn't work like that recovery doesn't work like that. So let's recognize that and remember that there is a new employer. And who is that new employer? That new employer is God. That new employer is God. God is going to take care of me. You can't. You shouldn't try and you can't. God can take care of me because he has all power. He has all knowledge. You know, I'm going back to when I was married. I'm going back to 2010, May 9th, when I knew nothing. I, I was a babe in the way I knew nothing of what the hell was going on with my wife. I didn't have a clue. May 9th, 2010, I would have thought, God, please preserve my marriage. Please preserve my marriage. Come on, uh, you know, don't let anything happen to my marriage. I'm not saying I'm glad my marriage blew up. I'm not saying that at all. But here's what I will tell you. If that marriage had lasted, there are joys and thrills in my life that I would not have experienced had that marriage lasted. And I thank God for those thrills and those joys and the deep love and happiness that has come my way since the marriage blew up. I'm not glad my marriage blew up. I'm not saying that. But as long as it did, through God's grace and mercy, I have been able to experience many, many things that have given my heart reason to sing be glad and grateful. What a gift God has given me. You can't give that to me as a human being. You can't give me the kind of joy and love and happiness that God can give me. And I have to stop trying to buy tires at the grocery store. It just doesn't work. So. 
Everything is in God's hands as well as it should be. Let's continue. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. Now, again, I've never been tempted to cheat on anyone I was involved with. It has never happened. It's never going to that I'm aware of. I'm a one woman kind of guy. I don't do that. But there are people who do do that. And it is as devastating as as food. It's as devastating as a Milky Way bar because it causes the same kind of guilt, shame, and remorse. Now, there are sociopaths who would not feel a damn thing. And I take my hat off to that. That's not me. I, I'm not built that way. Uh, sometimes I wish I was, but I'm just not. You know, you have to play well the cards you're dealt kind of thing. Uh, bottom part of 70 if we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. Resentments are futile, which means they have no real purpose, and they are fatal. Why? Because they will bring the food into your life in a way that will kill you. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. Remember the word commenced means to begin. We haven't fully comprehended the horrible destructive forces of the food yet, but we soon will unless we put it down and leave it down. And the only way to do that is to keep going with the steps. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. And I find that in my own life, I do not need to be liked by everybody. Before I tried to do that, that doesn't work. I don't like everybody. You don't like everybody on that who you don't like list. I might be on there. I'm okay with that. I'm real, unless I've harmed you. If I've harmed you, then I want to make amends to you. I sincerely do. But if for whatever reason, because I said something, or maybe because I got Charlie Brown and Snoopy behind me instead of, you know, whoever, you know, you don't like me or you don't like the cut of my jib, I'm really okay with that. I really am. I truly, truly am. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. I'm in places today, boys and girls, that you just cannot get to by yourself. You cannot get there on your own unaided willpower because I am in places today that I did not even know existed. Do I still want to work? Hell no. Do I, do I wish I had a zillion dollars? Oh, yes. Do I wish whatever? Yes. But you know what? I've got a great life. I really do. I've got a great life. This house, hey, it's not going to make house beautiful. It's not going to make architectural digest, but it's mine. It's a roof over my head. See this wall I'm pounding right now? It belongs to me. It's my wall. If I want to spit on it, if I want to whatever, it's my wall. And I'm so grateful for these walls. I'm so grateful to own this place. I'm very, very lucky. And you know what? I've got a lot of people who love me and care about me. What a gift I've been given. What a 170 of you today came to this Zoom room to hear me. Are you kidding me? I'm a very lucky man, very lucky man. And in my everyday life, there are people who reach out to me that care about me. I care about them. What could be better? What could be better? Let's continue and let's finish the paragraph and then we'll open it up. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision, which is step three, and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, which is step four, you have made a good beginning. One of the biggest mistakes people make with step four is put unrealistic expectations on it. It is not going to severely revolutionize your life. 
what the purpose of step four is, is not to get your drunk husband or your drunk wife sober or your kid off the street or what have you, whatever is bothering you. What it is, is it's we're going to point out patterns and you're going to learn an enormous amount about yourself. I thought I knew me. Man, I didn't know diddly squat until I did inventory after inventory. And this is not the last one you're going to do. Continue to take personal inventory. The word continue ring a bell. Good. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself, not about others, but about yourself. Now, we're going to study step five next week, and we're going to talk about some of the pitfalls that some people fall into in both giving their step five and in taking a step five. And we're gonna get into some very specific instruction and we're gonna get into some things about step five that hopefully will help you. We are going to do that next Saturday. So please come back. Before I turn it over,